Hunt for the Green Mountain Killer by Robert Kiner. For 13 years, Anne and David Scoville made it their mission to solve their daughter's murder. When Patricia Scoville left Boston for the picturesque town of Stowe, Vermont, her parents were relieved that she would be in a safer place. Small-town people themselves, they were concerned about their daughter living in the big city. So when their phone calls went unanswered not long after Patty moved in, Anne and David were not unduly alarmed. An outgoing girl and the president of a college club at Cornell University, 28-year-old Patty had always been a trusting, caring child. The oldest of three children, she was also a responsible woman who made good decisions. A cyclist, hiker and skier, she'd fallen in love with the village tucked into the Green Mountains where her friend Neil Hilmer's family had a holiday home. She answered an ad, found a flatmate and moved in. After three days of unreturned calls, David and Anne became apprehensive. That night in October 1991, they stood together in the kitchen while Anne called again. Patty's flatmate, Annette Dickinson, answered. She explained that Patty had gone to stay for the weekend at the Hilmer's house, but was due back by now. And she'd missed several appointments. Anyone who knew Patty knew she didn't behave like that. After talking with the Scovilles, Annette called the police. David then called Neil Hilmer's home, and a Stowe police officer answered. He told David that someone would call him right back. In the meantime, he said they'd be putting out a missing persons report on the Burlington TV station at 11 o'clock that night. It was just after midnight when the chief of police called. In response to the news report, he told them, a tip had come in. Someone had seen Patty's green Fuji 10-speed bike at Moss Glen Falls, seven kilometres north of Stowe, earlier that day. I think you'd better come up here, he told David. After a long pause, he added, Bring her dental records if you have them, just in case. Scores of police officers, rescue dogs, volunteers and hunters familiar with the rugged area surrounding Moss Glen Falls joined the search, supported by spotter planes. On the sixth day, Tuesday, October 29, as the weary and frightened Scovilles waited in their motel room, Stowe Police Captain Kenneth Kaplan came to their door. He was sorry, he said, but they'd found Patricia. Her body had been discovered, covered with twigs and pine branches, 60 metres or so, from the top of 45-metre-high Moss Glen Falls. The stunningly beautiful, crystal-clear waterfall was an incongruous backdrop to the horror that had taken place there. Patty had been hit on the back of her head, raped and then strangled. Murder was a rarity in this safe little corner of the US. Patty's was only the third in 22 years. We've got this guy's DNA, Bruce Merriam, the 28-year-old Stowe police detective heading the investigation, reassured the Scovilles. It's just a matter of time before we find him. Police questioned Patty's flatmate, Neil Hilmer, and everyone in her wider circle of friends. They all had alibis. The police combed through Patty's address books, checked out old boyfriends, acquaintances, landlords, and even former employers. They asked prime suspects for their DNA and most complied. Psychics called in with tips. Disturbed people came forward and confessed falsely to the killing. There was no DNA match. Police tracked down hundreds of leads but came up empty. Patty's killer was probably still nearby, but he'd made himself invisible. Conventional wisdom says a case is best solved in 72 hours. 
it becomes less likely as time passes and the leads dry up. With Patty's murder, nothing turned up. By the first anniversary of their daughter's murder, the Scovilles had grown increasingly frustrated about the lack of progress. Why hadn't police caught the killer? And why didn't they demand that every adult male within 100 kilometres of Stowe give his DNA? The couple prodded the police relentlessly. Hearing about the murder of a girl in Massachusetts approximately Patty's age, Anne called Bruce Merriam, suggesting it might be the same killer. He investigated, but again, there was no link. The Scovilles felt impotent and frightened. When a strange car pulled up in front of their house in the middle of the night, Anne panicked. She peeked through the bedroom blinds. Could someone be stalking them? Now she locked car doors as soon as she got in. And she and David never let one another out of their sight. Television crime shows proved so disturbing that they had to stop watching them. Another year passed. On each anniversary of their daughter's murder, the Scovilles made the painful 600-kilometre journey to Stowe to plant a tree, donate a bench, or do something to keep her case in the public eye. Friends and family increased the reward for information, leading to the arrest of her killer to $24,000. Nothing worked. As the fifth anniversary approached, Anne and David were deeply disillusioned. At a meeting with Bruce Merriam in the tiny air-conditioned reception room at the Stowe Police Office, they asked again and again what more they could do. Together, the three of them began to formulate a new strategy. The Scovilles would move from hovering on the sidelines of the investigation and commit themselves to advocacy. Vermont and nearby Rhode Island, along with six other states, had yet to pass laws requiring violent criminals to supply DNA samples and neither had established a DNA data bank. If those two things were put into place, Miriam told them, they had a better chance of catching the killer. A dusting of snow blew across the New York State Thruway in January 1997 as David and Anne Scoville headed towards Montpellier, Vermont. They had driven the route many times, but this would be the first time they'd tell Vermont legislators the story of losing Patty, with the hope they'd pass a bill establishing a DNA data bank. It was wrenching to describe their daughter's death over and over, but sitting at a long oak table in front of the Vermont House Judiciary Committee inside the gold-domed State Capitol building in Montpellier, they replayed it all one more time. Holding her typewritten script, flanked by two pictures of Patty, Anne took a deep breath and began. Slowly, with great self-control, she gave her testimony to the legislators. She did not cry. Hard as it was, David and Anne never turned down a chance to advocate for change. They wanted to encourage every state to establish a DNA registry, because in their crusade for Patty, they had come to realise that the most likely suspects were often serial offenders, already in prison for horribly similar crimes. And in interview after interview, they told reporters, Patty's murderer may already be in jail somewhere, but without a DNA record, how do we know? Seven years after Patty's murder, Thanks to the Scovilles and the work of others who joined the cause, Vermont and Rhode Island passed laws setting up DNA registries and requiring violent criminals to give DNA samples. There was no breakthrough for the Scovilles, however. The process of collecting and profiling DNA records would take years. In March 2005, David and Anne were on holiday in Florida. They'd spent a lazy day on a golden beach, reading and lying in the sun. Returning to their hotel room, they checked their messages. 
One was from Kenneth Kaplan, now Stowe's chief of police. They called back immediately. I need to tell you something, he began, but you have to keep this strictly confidential. We had a hit, a DNA match. In a scenario much like one David had predicted, a man who'd once been in prison in Vermont but was paroled and presently out free had tested as a strong suspect. In 1997, Howard Godfrey had been convicted of aggravated assault. He had hit a woman on the back of her head with a wooden mallet, then shoved a shotgun in her abdomen and threatened to shoot her. She was about Patty's age. At the time of Patricia's murder, Godfrey had lived only ten kilometres from Moss Glen Falls. Godfrey had been there all along, but undetectable until the Scovilles pushed, prodded and helped move the state of Vermont to set up their DNA databank. It was this law that finally drew Howard Godfrey into the light. Thirteen torturous years after Patty was killed, the Scovilles had their breakthrough. In September 2004, DNA samples taken from violent criminals, including Godfrey's, were sent to a private lab for profiling. The lab's results were loaded into the FBI's national database in February 2005 to compare with DNA from unsolved crimes. Within days, the FBI notified Vermont authorities that they had matched a sample from convicted offender ID number 2000043 with that from Patty's case. It was Howard Godfrey's DNA. On March 31, 2005, Anne and David sat in the Vermont District Court in Hyde Park and listened to Godfrey, 58, plead not guilty to the aggravated murder of their daughter. He was held without bail. At the end of TV crime shows, the case is always closed, the Scovilles explain. When you lose a child, the case is never closed. We worked for DNA legislation so Patty would not be forgotten, and in the hope that new laws would help other victims and their families find peace and justice. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.